0: Hey everybody welcome back to gear 30 on the blister podcast network i'm jonathan ellsworth and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com today we are back with another edition of gear therapy where luke kappa and i will answer the most pressing gear questions from one of our blister members Today, our guest is Cam Smith, who is a ski patroller who lives and works in Spokane, Washington. And we had a fantastic conversation and a great time here with Cam. And fun fact, the conversation we had with Cam is actually pretty representative of the personalized gear recommendations we give via email exchanges with our Blister members So if you have some gear questions that you'd like us to help you figure out, well, just become a Blister member, shoot us a note, and our team will help get you straightened out. And furthermore, if you want to make an even smarter move here, you can become a Blister Plus member. And in addition to getting a bunch of great discounts on gear and getting our personalized gear recommendations, You will also get yourself protected with our Blister Plus Injury Insurance. So you're going to hear Cam talk at the end of this episode about the carnage he sees as a ski patroller. So just go ahead and get yourself covered before you get wrecked skiing or snowboarding or mountain biking or kayaking or climbing or commuting so that if and when the Duff hits the proverbial fan, you have no reason not to go get checked out and get medical attention, and you also will not get stuck with massive medical bills. Seriously, folks, this is important, so get yourself covered with Blister Plus. Finally, this episode of Gear 30 is presented by our Blister-recommended shops, including... The Spokane Alpine House, which we learned about halfway through this conversation that you're about to hear, is our guest Cam's home shop. How you like them apples? So special shout out here to the Spokane Alpine House, and we'll include a link to our entire list of blister recommended shops in the show notes of this episode. And with that, let's do some more gear therapy with blister member and ski patroller Cam Smith. Here we go. Well Cam, welcome to Gear 30. How are you today and where are you today? Uh thanks Jonathan and thanks for having me.
1: I am in Spokane, Washington where I live. Um and I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing?
2: Luke pretty good um after figuring out what time yeah. it is here and yeah. there slight slight time zone mishap i'm i'm one yeah. time
1: zone away right yeah, you're
0: only one yeah yeah it's yeah, really yeah, hard we went the wrong that. direction we
2: <laughs> Plus uh, I, I was one. telling
0: cam earlier a, yeah. a typical day at blister i am corresponding with people i would say on average typically in four to five different time zones a day I may have gone backward when I should have gone forward type of thing. So, anyway, we're not going to dwell on that. Here we are. We're all happy to be here. No. Um, Cam, tell yeah. us a bit about yourself uh, for this second edition of Gear Therapy, which we're excited to be doing. So, tell us a bit more about you. What should the people know? Well,
1: um, most of my skiing is informed by the fact that I'm a ski patroller. Um, here at my home mountain, Mount Spokane, um, a member of the Mount Spokane ski patrol, which is one of the largest and oldest all volunteer ski patrols in the country, if not the world. And basically, I mean, if I had to boil everything down to one sentence, it's, I think I wrote earlier to you guys that I did 65 days on skis last year, five of which were touring and five were just playing around and the rest were patrolling in some capacity, whether it be instructing our incoming class of patrollers or actually working the mountain. So um that means that what I demand of my gear is kind of unique. Um you know when I put ski boots on it's usually at you know 730 in the morning and they don't come off until 530, 6 o'clock yeah. at night, sometimes later. And Most of the time, you know, 80% of the time, I don't have the luxury of saying, you know what? The weather sucks. I'm going inside. I'm going to drink a beer. Um, I'm out there no matter what the snow looks like, no matter if it's, you know, freezing rain, my goggles have frozen over four times in the last hour. Like I, I basically get to deal with what I've been dealt. (laughs) So, um, How I choose my gear and what I expect of my gear is informed Mm -hmm. by that
0: experience. And Cam, before we dive into the gear stuff, um, are you in a like born and raised in Spokane situation or lived a lot of your life? Yeah. Yep. Born and raised. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised in the Inland Northwest. Um,
1: Lived in Spokane basically my whole life. Um, skied in, skied in the inland Northwest pretty much my whole life. And it's a pretty unique place to ski because depending on the day and the hour and the week, you might be skiing on bulletproof ice, or you might be skiing, you know, maritime conditions like you'd expect to see on the West side of the state, or you might have, you know, more continental snow, like you'd expect to see down where you guys are in Colorado.
0: And where, but
1: we get four seasons here and that's the best yeah. part about
0: Spokane. And where have you done, like what ski areas have you skied the most? Oh, by far, uh, Mount Spokane. I worked a season at
1: Schweitzer ages and ages and age- ages, ago before I had any gray hair. Um, but I also do a lot of skiing at a uh, silver mountain, which is about an hour away in Kellogg, Idaho. Um, I do a lot of skiing at mission Ridge, which is in the center of the state. Um, it's one of my favorite places to ski. It's definitely a unique, unique ski area. One of my new favorites is uh, Crystal Mountain down by uh, Mount Rainier. Um, that's a that's a special place. At the end of the day, 65 days, and most of which were at Mount Spokane. And, you know, taken at face value, a lot of people don't think that Mount Spokane has much to offer because it's not the steepest, you know, it doesn't have the steepest terrain. But if you're willing to explore a little bit, you uh there's a lot of great tree skiing. There's a lot of great stashes of snow that y- you can find days after a storm. But one of my favorite things is most ski areas that you're at, when you're on the chairlift, you can look left or right and see all of the other chairlifts. You can see most of the mountain, right? And Mount Spokane, everything's kind of in pockets and drainages all down the side of the mountain. So, you know where you are in the mountain, that's where you are, you know, you're, you're in your own little kind of personal world. So it's a cool place to ski. It's a cool place for a lot of, a lot of people in our area learn how to ski there. I did. So
0: that's kind of my skiing story. And you are a self-described gear nerd. Do I have that right? Okay. Yep.
1: Yep. Just like the uh, last gear therapy session, I am the guy that everybody comes to when they <laughs> want to buy a new pair of skis. And it's kind of funny that I'm sitting here going like, well, what, what kind of, what skis mm-hmm. do I want to buy? <laughs> so, yeah. um, and that comes from, you know, like I, I don't have that much time to go out and do demo days. Like when I'm on the mountain, I, I've done this before where I've, I've bit the, um, the demo day bait. And I had to come back to the, uh, tent afterwards and explain to the rep they're like look i your your skis got run over by a toboggan because i had to haul a hurt person down the hill with them which by the way they did great at (laughs) so you know that's uh yeah when it comes to bikes skis whatever it is um i i mean i i read blister almost for entertainment just because Hmm. i like learning about gear so i just don't want to make a bad decision when it comes to buying my next daily driver ski or my next boot
0: Well, great background, uh, great context for this conversation, I think. And I think it's time to dive in. So, Cam, the floor is yours. Um, what is your first question for Luke and me? So, been running uh, laying XT3
1: 130, medium volume, uh, 26.5 shell. For two and a half, maybe three seasons now. I've blown through one um one pair of liners. I ended up in a pair of intuition liners briefly, um, that put me in like excruciating pain one day. Um and thanks to my buddy George, uh, who is a blister member, um, who bought himself a pair of uh Zipfit liners, um, and Jeff at Zipfit. Um, I ended up in a pair of Gara LV liners and that changed the boot for me for sure. But where I'm at right now is I can't seem to add enough cork to the heel pocket of um, either of these liners to fill out the uh, space around my heel and my ankle. And I know that I need to step down to a low volume boot. I know that I need to ditch the Alpine touring component of this boot for a regular old alpine boot because I have real tour boots now. Those are um those are Dinafit uh radical pros. And I just don't know where to go because I have really high arches, really high end steps, really, really, really narrow ankles, and quite large calves. So I've had a friend suggest to me that maybe a pair of uh Technica Mach 1. Um low volumes might be the uh might be the boot. It's good
0: it's good we're here. Um, it's good it's good we're here for you, that. Cam. I yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I haven't been able to actually try that boot on yet. Um I did briefly try on a um Lang I wanna say it's an RX. It was not the one thirty. But I, I'm like I said at the beginning of this, <laughs> I'm gonna spend, you know, Seven, eight, nine, ten 10 plus hours a day in these boots, it's really important to me that a, they're comfortable B they have the performance to, you know, the stiffness that I want from them. Um, I'm not the smallest person. I weigh 190, 200 pounds. Um, I ski pretty hard, um, in that, you know, I'm, I, I drive the front of the ski, like I was taught and, I just don't know where to go and if it's possible for me to have a boot that doesn't destroy my feet and give me the performance that I really want and the heel retention that I really want. And that's, that's the most important thing to me is having just you know the whole heel pocket, ankle around both my malleoli, like just locked into the boot. I don't know if it's possible. And I don't know what boot to even look at. Laying shadow, laying RX 130, laying, you know. I know for a fact, though, that uh, as much as I wanted to try a pair of Hawks Ultra, that, that boot straight up is not compatible with my anatomy. Like it's instant pain the second I shove my foot in one of those. So that's. If you guys tell me to try again with the Zip Fits, I will. But tell me where do i want to park my zipfits luke
2: my initial thought is an rx130 low volume um because rx130 yeah. low volume yeah exactly okay. because one it seems to be the most notable boot in the quote low volume category that works for people with high insteps. steps like that's why paul forward loves uh the Kind of general lv fit from lang it's not the low volume overall it uh like i can almost make a lang lv fit work on my feet despite the fact that i have a more of a medium volume midfoot um so that seems like the most obvious like that's the first one i would try on they have the the rx 130 the rs 130 uh which share the same shell, but the RS comes with a different liner. I would just try out the RX 130 also because uh, it comes with grip box soles, um, and I'm guessing that might be useful for walking around while patrolling. <laughs> um, and snow and uh, riding
1: snow. Yeah, mobiles. it's really nice to have a traditional alpine sole. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I'm I've learned that as I get older and my knees get even more worn out is that I, I, I like a lot of suspension out of a boot. And I know that, for instance, a, a Alpine touring boot is going to have, you know, Grilamid or whatever type of space plastics they use to make them as light as they are. Um, is the RX-130 going to deliver more of that damped feel that I am
2: not getting out of my um, X-T3s? I yes. Yeah, I would say yes. so that Lang's, yeah, the RX line um, and RS, I would say are some of the better boots in kind of just the all mountain category in terms of suspension. They're not super light. Um, they do an uh, impressive job, I think, of muting out kind of the vibrations you're getting from the snow. Yeah. And sure. I
0: I think we've mentioned this probably on a few other Gear 30 episodes, but I'll say it again. Because I think it's really true, and I I think this is actually a hell of a pro tip. We have just found that LANG, what they're calling LV, just isn't really that LV. It's not that low volume. And so for somebody like you, Cam, because I think there's a lot of people out there, it's like, well, I happen to have fairly big foot or a foot that's big in certain areas, if you have identified, if anybody listening has identified Lang as, you know, being a boot that they're interested in, you know, g- given like the, sp- the models across their lineup, check out the LVs. Um, they are higher volume. Again, I'm speaking in generalization, so I, I'm not willing to say this for every single Model direct comparison to other, mo- you know, that the direct comparison of a model and other brands or cross, but in general, I I think that is the brand where MV m- mid volume feet for people that really still want performance, they should be at least trying on the LV versions of
2: Langs, right, Luke? Yeah, uh, when when we got the Lang Shadow in for review this year it took me until I was a building the post on our site for the first look to realize we had the LV and not the MV after skiing it for several days. Um, cause that was my first experience wow. in yeah. Lang's quote LV fit. Uh, so yeah, definitely worth a look. It's, yeah. I think especially for the high end step people. Um, and yeah, I, I suspect that would be probably the easiest option to make work for your foot. Would,
1: Would the shadow be a good option
2: for me? Yeah. So they, the shadow and the RX slash RS share a lot in common in terms of fit. Um, I know like Paul forward's been, he ended up using the shadow a lot throughout the rest of the season. He's identified some slight nuances in terms of fit. I guess the shadow uses an older, uh, RX mold, uh, or for the interior, um, But they're very similar. And the main difference is that how I've been viewing it is the Shadow, it's a unique boot. It transmits more power to your skis with less effort than I think any other boot I've used. For me, I love that when I'm carving and I am still kind of unsure about how I feel about it in terms of all mountain skiing. Um, especially when switching from my normal boot and of Mach 1, 130 to the Shadow, it, it almost makes my skis feel like they have a sharper tune. Uh, I did a few days with the Mach 1 on one foot, Shadow on the other, and there was a notable difference in terms of how much grip I was getting out of, uh, my skis on the Shadow foot versus the Mach 1 foot. Uh, so I... I think that's, that's how I would make the decision is, do I like the sound of, um, kind of increased power transfer to my edges, especially while carving, or do I want kind of more of a traditional Alpine boot feel with very good suspension? Um, and that is, yeah, basically going to feel like a maybe slightly stiffer version of the xt3 but mostly the the fit differences and the suspension i think would be the most notable differences with the if you opt for the rx
1: okay so what i'm what i'm hearing is pretty much the rx 130 lv is is a lock for my next boot
0: is there maybe not lock but you should check maybe it not, out. No. I mean it, try it. on. Okay. Feet are feet are weird, and so so yeah. you know we'll, you'll see. But that right now is is probably our front runner. The other thing I wanted. What's option two. Well, the, one, let's let's rule. Let's cross something out that you mentioned because I okay. think a minute ago you said I think maybe I need to try on a Technica Mach One LV. Yeah. We're we're crossing that out off because that Technica Mach One LV is a true LV. If that is a low volume boot, um that boot is like makes my eyes get wide. Um and I get along really well with a lot of low volume boots. Um that that is an intense fit for me in a 265. So you don't I think you don't need to be worrying about that and I mean I don't know if anything really? I don't know that anything else Luke Luke skis the MV a
2: lot. Um, Are you hearing anything where you think he ought to be checking it out? um, Maybe if if a shop has it. But one of the big reasons that boot works for me is because it has a what feels like a lower than average instep for a medium volume boot. Mm. So I suspect that might be an issue for you. It does have a nicely or a heel pocket that works for my like I have a wider midfoot still pretty low volume ankle, um, and it works great for me. I think, if anything, the next boot to try on might be the Salomon S-Pro Alpha, because that's a mm. pretty low volume boot, but they focused on increasing room over the instep when they developed that mold. Okay. Uh, so that would, I think that's my second choice. It won't be, the suspension won't be as good as the RX, mostly, I think, due to weight. Uh, the S-Pro Alpha is notably lighter. But, uh, mm. that would be, that's the most clear pick number two for me. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a boot that, uh, my shop of
1: choice, which is a, um, blister shop here in Spokane, the Alpine mm-hmm, Nice shout out. To yeah. Them. Shout out. Awesome. Yeah. They're, uh, all but about three minutes away from my Hot. house. So they're, they're the neighborhood ski shop too. Um, they Jordan over there was suggesting that I try that boot when they come in, for the uh, 23, 24 season. But the, the lightness of it isn't necessarily something that I want to, I don't know that I want to take that compromise anymore because again, I've got real touring boots. I want a nice big, damp boot that can really, you know, help me deal with skiing refrozen crud, you know, on my third patrol day in a row at five o'clock when we're trying to shut the mountain down. So let me let me backtrack here to that Technica. You say it's a true low volume boot. Do you mean like through the the forefoot, through the midfoot, yes. like in the instep, yes. around the ankle, all, all, or is it
0: <laughs> all that all F, that. all of the above?
1: Because the only place that would be a problem on my foot is in the instep, which of course
0: isn't that's there's nothing you can do about. No, that. and I this is not a criticism for me. I like. When a brand is like, yeah, it's called low freaking volume, so we made it <laughs> low volume. It's low yeah. volume, and it's 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 not. They're not playing around with that, and so you know uh, that is just one. I can't fathom. I can't fathom, and especially, I would actually, I would bet ten thousand dollars on this. Given the foot you've described, which I've never seen in person, I'd still bet ten thousand dollars. There's not a chance in hell you're getting your foot with a zip fit into a Mach 1 LV. That's not happening. Or or you have completely misrepresented (laughs) your feet and your situation. There's no way. No, I I trust you.
1: I trust you. It's, you know, I think at the end of the day, the measurements are what, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Like my foot actually measures out that I have an abnormally high end step and I have high arches. Um, something I've done to ameliorate that with my current boot is, um, I went to a custom insole, which has zero stack inside the boot. I mean, it's, it's all of a couple of millimeters thick and that made a huge difference. But in order to make up for the lack of, a control fit around my ankle, I'm having to tighten that instep buckle down to the point where it's cutting off circulation by the end of the day. So I guess, unless either of you have anything else to say to me about boots, um,
0: let's move on to skis. Okay. No, I think, I think, I think we've given you some solid directions to go. I think Solomon's going to do really well with that alpha And Mm -hmm. I would not, as you know, I like heavy boots too. I think that boot skis really well. I think a lot of skiers are going to get along with it. I happen to get a great fit out of the much heavier, you know, atomic redster. And so, given that I get a great fit out of that boot, that is still a boot that I really like. But what I can say is that I could ski the Solomon S Pro Alpha, the low volume (laughs) S Pro Alpha. And I could do that happily, but now we're getting into really nuanced stuff here. And um, given, given the fit, weight, forward lean stuff that I have going on with the Redster, I would still take that, but I could pretty happily ski that. Solomon S Pro Alpha. So, I think that is a boot for somebody who is trying to figure this out and they're really not sure where to go. I think a lot of people should be checking out that boot and put it in the mix, right? Go to your shop, try Mm -hmm. stuff on and see. But, um, it's gonna, a lot of people are gonna get along well with it, I predict.
1: Okay. Well, I'll keep that in the back of my head. I had a feeling that I was gonna go from laying to laying. Um, Just because, you know, out of skiing, I'm 35, so I've been skiing for 20 some odd years now. These langs are the best fit out of a boot that I've ever had. But it took getting the zip fits and looking down at my foot and seeing that the clog of the boot is buckling and bowing out when I'm flexing the boot to, to realize like, I really should be in a low-volume boot, but what low-volume boot can accommodate my wicked high instep? I I, I just don't know that off the top of my head, so that's how we ended up here. So, okay, S-Pro Alpha and RX-130 LV. I'm going to go to the Alpine house. I'm going to try those on. I'm going to buy one of them. I'm going to profit. Everybody's gonna be happy.
0: We're gonna <laughs> let us we're gonna let us know how solve all the world's yeah. let us know how it works out. We're 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 invest okay. we're invested now. Mm-hmm. All right. All Moving right. on to skis. skis. What do you got? So um
1: my current quiver is as follows. I have a rather beat up pair of um Nordica Enforcer 104. Um, I think they're 179 centimeters. I don't, I don't know if that's exact, but I sent you a list of them and I can't remember for the life of me. I have a pair of Solomon, uh, the, the enforcers are my daily drivers. Like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what the snow looks like. Those are the ones that live at the mountain. That's the first ski I'm always going to grab. It's never going to surprise me. It's never going to let me down. That's it's old faithful. It's, it's the ride or die. Um, For days that we are fortunate enough to have a little bit more snow, I've got a pair of Solomon QST blank in the 186 length. Um, My old daily drivers that um, I'm retiring this year because, well, they're a pair of Black Crow's Cam Ox in 174 length. They had Solomon Shifts on them. I now have real touring skis that have real touring bindings and I no longer want to deal with patrolling with a pair of shifts under my feet Um, that I could I could complain about for a whole like one more hour of podcasting um, just because of they're not made for that. And trying to force them to do that, I don't think was fair to them. Um,
0: Specifically, do you mean a lot of stepping in and stepping out of the shift?
1: Yeah. Stepping in, stepping out, getting hit with things, um, you know, getting getting toboggans run over them as we're loading them on chair lifts, all, all sorts of just the abuse, the general abuse. And I am hardwired when I walk up to my skis and I want to um, knock the snow off the soles. I I kick my toe piece. What happens when you kick a shift toe piece? It goes into walk mode and explodes (laughs) all over the place. Um, The other thing is uh, they are prone to getting snow frozen into the brake and, you know, heel riser mechanism. And I've had that literally, like, cripple my skis until I could take them inside and let that melt off. Or, like, get my Leatherman out and start stabbing at them to get the ice out of there. So... Those skis, um, that that binding and those skis are, are retired. The Camox used to be my daily driver, and then frankly, I got better at skiing. And I found that I'm I'm out skiing that ski in like 85% of um situations. I liked that ski because of kind of the suspension and damping that it offered, despite the fact that it didn't have much metal in it. And we can come back to that point here in a second. Um, But it was an easy ski that really never, you know, let me down. It really never surprised me. Um, It's great on hard pack. When I'm on hard pack snow, I like to ski in, in blister language, pretty directionally from the tongue of my boot and the shovel of the ski. When it comes down to what I really wanted from a ski, when I got the Enforcer 104s, that superseded that ski completely in my mind and i really haven't touched it my touring setup is a pair of Folsom cash 106 carbons and i like that ski because it's, it's easy it's just it's a fun easy ski it'll do just about any turn shape you want as long as it's not too big and too fast depending on the conditions um and i have a set of g3 i want to say it's the Z binding um their newer pin binding with the with the dina fits and i really love that setup um i haven't gotten a skate as much nearly as much as i would have liked to this year just because it got really warm really quickly here but back to the back to the old faithful daily drivers the enforcer 104s are starting to look Like they have, you know, 150, 200 days of patrolling Mm -hmm. on them. The bases are like they, there's like a six inch long piece of base material that's been hanging off the top sheet of that ski, or base material, uh, top sheet material that's been hanging off the top sheet of the ski for most of last season. Mm -hmm. Um, I have several deep gouges and one core shot in the bases. Um, the edges from running over rocks are, getting to the point where they, you can't tune those out anymore just because I've hit rocks doing like 30 miles an hour. And, um, I I'm lucky that I didn't rip the edges out of those skis earlier this year, but that's neither here nor there. And if I'm, if I'm going to encapsulate what I really love about that ski, aside from the fact that, you know, I've already said that it never surprises me. It's damp in conditions that you want it to be damp in, it will do pretty much any turn shape that I ask it to do. A lot of the tree skiing we do at Mount Spokane, I alluded to is, you know, it's tight trees. It's not mini golf, you know, gladed out trees. We, we really run them tight at Mount Spokane. Um, So having that quick edge to edge, you know, um, agility, the ability to, if I'm skiing really forward in my boots, I can lift the tails out of the snow and and get that ski whipped around pretty much any turn I want to. But at the same time, when I'm not skiing in the trees and it's a it's a groomer day, um, I can I can drag some boot buckles on the ground with that ski, too. So. I already think that I know what you're going to say, <laughs> And I think that it's going to be to buy another pair of Enforcer 104s. And something bothers me about just going from one ski to the same ski. mm -hmm. If there was an iterative difference between the two skis, you know, mine are like three years
0: old. There's not. But I'm going to yell at you in a minute, but I want Luke, let Luke go first. And then I'm going to yell at you for wanting and encouraging any manufacturers listening to this to... (laughs) I I spend my life fighting against iterative changes in skis. So, you and I are now enemies. (laughs) Um,
2: But Luke... Public enemy number one here. Okay. But Luke, I can relate to that feeling, though. Because when you're, like, buying, you're going to spend a lot of money on a new thing. Yeah, You're like, do I really just want to... Use the same one I've been using. Um that said, I do think another Enforcer 104 is probably your safest bet. Uh <sighs> the there are I came up with a list of alternatives, but none of them are, I, there wasn't a case of like, oh, this is the clear answer. It's like there are no There's, there's all there's all of them came with caveats like the Solomon QST one oh six, uh It'd be more maneuverable, but it won't yeah. carve as well. It's not as damp and stable. The and it's not as heavy. And I already have a QST blank, yeah.
1: which isn't a it, it isn't quite as maneuverable. It definitely doesn't carve as mm-hmm. well. It is ludicrously fun at in the conditions that it is, you know, good yeah. at. So that that's a non-starter for yep. me.
2: Yeah. What else and you got then with? there's the Solomon Stance 102, which I think could be a good fit, but I think it might be t- the new one might be too light if the suspension and smooth ride quality of the Enforcer 104 is one of your favorite attributes. The new Stance 102 mm-hmm. might be a bit light. Uh, it would be more energetic, lower swing weight, but uh, yeah, might not feel as nice and plush on refrozen as your Enforcers.
0: And what we might say is somebody who's been on an Enforcer 104 and is like, maybe I want slightly more playful, slightly lighter, slightly better, you know, easier turn initiation. Then we would be having a conversation about stance 102. It's a really nice ski. That's where we yeah. are. But given what you've said, no, we're still, okay, keep going, Luke. What else can um, we cross off your list?
2: Line blade optic 104. I no. think it's too soft, probably, Um, and probably too loose, especially if you're hitting. Kind of icy groomers fairly often. Yeah. The Vocal Mantra 102 might work. I feel like that's probably my best idea. It is the 2223 or 2324 version when they tweaked it a bit. It's not as demanding as the original, but it is very similarly stable, if not the same. uh And that would be, I think, a very good option if you don't care about getting a lower swing weight or a more lively ski and instead want to go for something maybe a bit more stable. Uh, but I, all of us were surprised by how manageable that ski was in tight terrain. More manageable than the mantra M six. Uh, it depends on the conditions. Like the, the one Oh two definitely feels easier to pivot to me. Um, and mm, especially, in, that's a good yeah, Especially in like three D snow the the M6 mm-hmm. can feel a little bit grabby at times especially in yeah when it's softer or more variable uh yeah the yeah
1: i noticed i demoed the M6 um i can't remember if it was last year or the year before last but i found that ski to be particularly demanding and The thought that went through my head when I was riding the chairlift between runs is like, this is a ski that I would want if I only skied recreationally. And if at the end of my day, if the end of my day was one o'clock in the afternoon, I could just hang it up and go inside and, you know, have a, have a drink, then great. That would be a perfect ski for me. But the fact that I need to do it days in a row and I need it not to surprise me when I'm running a loaded sled with a, with a hurt person in it down the hill, like, Um, that's something that I, I just really didn't like about the ski is that if I let up on the ski at all because I was tired or because I got lazy or because I was hurting or whatever, um, it would definitely punish me for doing so. And that's another thing that I really didn't touch on is that, um, this ski has to be what I would qualify as a good toboggan ski. And that, that means that it needs to be comfortable being side slipped extensively <laughs> for miles down a hill, and it needs to be it needs to be okay with rotary pivots um, in the fall line too, and not you know any weird catching of edges or anything like that. And I found that skis that have a little bit of um, early rise in the tail or would you call it just like a little bit of tail rock or not too much, but a little bit tend to perform the best in those scenarios, especially when there's three dimensional stone, which is why the enforcer one Oh four has been such a, you know, good ski for me for the last few years. And one thing I, I really wanted to ask about is I've had this idea in the back of my head for pretty much as long as I've been skiing, that a ski with metal in it is going to be more damp and more energetic at the end of a turn. Generally speaking, and that's I don't know why I where I picked that conceit up, but I know that throughout years of trying different skis and one of my favorite skis of all time was my um, first generation mantras back in the day. And that was kind of the first big metal ski that I had. And it's kind of dissuading me from trying the Folsom Cash as a daily driver or the Folsom Primary as a daily driver. Um what would you two say to that?
0: We literally did this experiment when I designed a custom Folsom primary 110. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. What what I would say so we did that and then we went back and made this Folsom primary that we call the Hammer, which if you ever make it to Crested Butte, you should probably click into that cam. I don't think it's <laughs> I don't think you would that's, i don't think it's gonna be your favorite ski but um it's in, it's very interesting um i was <laughs> okay. very specific what i was going for with that ski and and uh we got there it's a lot of ski two things i would say it sounds like it does what it says on the tin. yeah <laughs> two things i, <laughs> I would say the nail <laughs> yeah um with respect to metal as a generalization i think adding metal slash aluminum I like calling it aluminum because it is aluminum and it sounds way less badass. Yeah. So everybody's like, ah, I like skis with metal. And you're like, you like skis with aluminum. That's cool. Um, I, I do think as a generalization skis that have a layer of tetanol in them can be more damp as a generalization. I have skied a lot of stuff and I'm curious what Luke will say to this skis that have, less Tetanol in them or none, they can still be very energetic, like bending a ski mm-hmm. and getting pop and rebound out of a turn. So I would look at those two things pretty differently. Luke, mm-hmm. agree or disagree?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. It's so hard to say because I haven't, like all else being equal, I haven't skied a, a, the same exact ski with and without metal. I think it is an overemphasized material as most materials are because there are few generalizations I can make in terms of skis from different brands and attributing certain performance characteristics just to a material. Like there are like the, the old G3 Romer had, I believe, two layers of metal in it, but it was a touring ski and weighed like eighteen hundred and nineteen hundred pounds or something like or pounds, pounds. Yeah. I know yeah. How grams. Yeah. Uh Yeah, might as well be. And it was super lively and not very damp. And then you've got uh, on the other end, like a Rossignol Black Ops 118 or Sender Squad, which don't have much metal at all in them, but are super heavy, have tons of fiberglass and a heavy core and are incredibly damp. Uh so yeah it's it's tough to make that generalization i and it also depends on how they're using the metal what what thickness of titanal they're using like if they're using a a strip that's just under the center of the ski that's not going to get you as much torsional rigidity and edge grip as a sidewall to sidewall layer of metal uh but yeah I, I think i've i've skied so many different types of skis with metal layers in them that they can they can be all sorts of different things, for sure. What do I talk about all the time,
0: right? <laughs> People, what do I talk about all heavy the time? Heavy boots ski better. And heavy skis are more damp. There's yep. more suspension there. And now again, it's not just weight. You can still, it, it's, these are cakes, right? There's a lot of ingredients in these things. And it's about getting sure. all the ingredients in concert together. So it is about getting- the weight of the ski for a given application, mixed or paired well with the rocker profile of the ski, paired well with the flex pattern of the ski. And that's why, while I want to actually go back, because I'm worried that there will be some ski manufacturers listening to this be like, yeah, that's right. Metal doesn't do crap. You don't need metal to make (laughs) a damp ski or make a ski with great suspension. It's like, well... Okay, but then what are you doing with your weight, your mass? What are you doing with your flex pattern? And, but it but it is a combination of elements, right? And this is why I think people need to be careful if they say things like, I only like skis with metal, or I hate skis with metal. Or if there's a new ski that comes out and the manufacturer is making all these claims, that it is the most damn thing ever and we figured out how to do it without metal. Okay, maybe, but proceed with caution and and maybe proceed, like, let us get on it first, uh, you know, or come to the summit and get on it yourself. But I, so I, I, I just think we need to exercise caution in terms of some of these generalizations. Um, but I will say, like, I... If the weight of a ski is right and the flex pattern is right and skis happen to have, like a, some of my favorite skis, given that I tend to like heavier skis with really good suspension, a lot of those skis do have some Tetanol in them or quite a bit of titanol. Yeah. Um, I I know that I like the Cash
1: um, 106 because not only do I have a pair of the the carbon version, which... You know, those are, those are oriented towards lightweight and, you know, they're, they're great at what they do. I'm, I'm never going to be, you know, ripping mock chicken down a, down a, uh, groomer on those. I'm never going to, well, I shouldn't say never be skiing on ice with them because that's absolutely not true. But, um, one of, one of my friends, George, um, the blister member that I, uh, referenced earlier He's got a pair of uh, Cash 106s, and I love them in snow that has any sort of give to it whatsoever. But the second it firms up, they become pretty unforgiving, and um, George is a much better skier than I am and happens to agree with me, despite the fact that I'm quite a bit heavier than he is and I have a little bit more mass to throw into the ski, Um, we both have the same problem with the ski and that it's a little bit, um, it's, it's unforgiving in firm snow and ice. So, is there seeing that how that, that's a custom ski? I like, I like the shape of it, generally speaking. I, I like how it handles, generally speaking, especially in three dimensional snow. Mm -hmm. Is there a way I can go to Folsom and say, give me this layup with this, you know, or am I just barking up the wrong tree completely with that ski and should I be looking somewhere else?
0: I mean, we've already said what our first choice is for you. This is like you're coming yeah. to therapy and you're like, man, my wife, she's beautiful. I really think she's beautiful. She's super supportive of everything I do, even when I am act like a moron, <laughs> you know. And we're just like, dude, she sounds great. Like, what are you What are you doing here? Like, stop complaining, count your blessings and go back and, you know, be good to her. That's what I feel like <laughs> we're advising right now. Now, that said, that Cash 106, that Folsom Cash 106 is a really interesting ski. I believe I said this on a Gear 30 podcast. For me personally, I do not like the look of the tip shape. It is a more tapered tip than I tend to like. So I refuse to like ski that ski for a long time. I've told this story before. And then finally, I had—I forget, I think several of our reviewers asked me about it. They're like, dude, have you skied this thing? And I was like, no, but enough of my reviewers asked. So I finally did. And I'm like, (laughs) that thing skis really well. So if you don't have my weird hang up about tip Shape, which I have strong opinions about those. Yeah. The thing skis really well. And you could 100%, I know because I've done this with Folsom, you could get a slightly thicker core in that ski. You could add mass mm. to that ski. What we did with my Folsom primary hammer, Mike McCabe said he put more fiberglass in that ski than he's ever put in any other ski. That's what wow. he claims. You could start going down that road, but the idea there would be add mass to the ski without stiffening up the ski much. That's what you would right. be going for. You'd still want a pretty easy going flex pattern with the ski. And yeah. they could definitely do that. So, if you are kicking your beautiful, awesome wife to the curb- <laughs> God, why do you say it like (laughs) that? Well, because, and fuck you, Luke, for your like, no, iterative change. (laughs) I hate that. Like, Nordica, don't change the Enforcer 104. Like, please, just don't. That ski is outstanding for what it is. And if somebody wants something a bit different, there are options. But it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with that ski. I think they dialed that ski. And I don't want to ski a different version of that ski. Nordic is probably going to change the ski.
2: Whatever, what are you (laughs) going to do?
0: I mean,
1: that's the thing, though, is I kind of want to retire them early before they're completely, totally, like, ready for the bin. You know, ready to be made into a chair. Because I've said this so many times in this podcast thus far, but it never surprises me. I put that ski on. I know what it's going to do. Every input that I put in, and I know what output I'm going to get. So it's not there's anything wrong with it. It's just that I. Kind of want to sideline them while they still have some
0: life left in them. Okay, well, you can get a and new ski. We're letting you buy a new ski, but you're making me feel so bad about wanting a therapist. new pair of skis. No, I, no, no, no. I get a new pair of skis. What we are, what all we're doing is saying our first choice is go get another Enforcer 104. Yeah. Or I think this idea. Of if you really want to switch it up because you are unfaithful, you are an unfaithful, like <laughs> ungrateful son of a bitch, then um you no, know, I'm just kidding. I mean, oh I know I I know that I know the joy <laughs> of like trying something different. Yeah, f- stick with that Enforcer 104, but get a new pair. Or I think you could get to what you want to do by going with a customized Folsom cash one oh six, I think you could get okay. there so those are I think well, and I think Luke agrees those are our top two recommendations for you not not the mantra one oh two, not for side slipping, it's got yeah. less tail rocker than an enforcer one oh four and that's the other thing that if you do go this route with Folsom, I want to be in on some of the emails <laughs> because I think i've got I'm pretty clear like you I want to look at exactly what is. The kind of standard layup or the for tail rocker on a Folsom 106 because I think mm-hmm. you cash 106, you we want to cheat that up a little as opposed to airing. We don't want to air yeah. low on that.
1: I know they have their everyday rocker yeah. and no rocker, and yeah. And I I still like a ski that has camber underfoot mm-hmm. for, for sure. those days that I'm
0: but that's you know, feeling spicy, but camber underfoot's great, but we want tail rocker for side slipping a toboggan you don't you're yeah. not going to want to ski that feels like it's catching on you at the tail
1: okay yeah. no that that makes perfect sense and you know i i really appreciate you seeing where i'm coming from even though you only ever ski one pair of skis now. <laughs> I, I really appreciate I that i definitely don't get to do that ever um, i had to give it back it it sounds, i'm sorry sounds, i had to sounds amazing though um well i'm I'm feeling pretty good about where this chat has taken us, even though it's kind of only just reinforced a couple of suspicions that I had about where it was going to go, but it's good to have confirmation totally. And, um, I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm looking forward to this coming ski season. It's a hundred and (sighs) like three degrees and you know that the air quality is in the, it starts with the two right now, I think. So, I'm dreaming of ski season because it's the weather's too bad to huh. even go out and ride bikes right mm-hmm. now. So, um, yeah, I think I think going with the Folsom Cash 106 for my next ski That's, might ooh. be the, the okay. best idea.
0: Okay, so we get we actually okay. get the answer okay. here on the podcast. Yeah. He's going for the he's going to go the Folsom route. Okay, I really think that the primary
1: might be too aggressive for you know. Sunday at 3:30 when it's zero visibility and the sun's going down and I have to sweep the south face by myself and not fall on my face and break myself. So
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what what I would say on that is you you're you've started with a enforcer 104, you're cheating it slightly wider, which we're not even going to worry about going to a cash 106, but if you're now bumping to a 110, you are starting to get into like boy right we're bumping I have from a qst blank for that yeah exactly and so i i i don't i actually you have a is you there, have a blank and I, so i think you're right with the cash 106
2: luke is there not a 104 primary yeah so there's a primary 104 and my main hesitation there is just that in the 104 we've only skied it in the blister pro version which was incredibly stiff and heavy uh, and okay. we've only skied the 110 with their reverse camber profile. And so I, yeah. I'm i not exactly sure how you'd end up if you went with a less stiff <sighs> I don't, version of the 104 that we have.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think the 104 has any um, tail taper whatsoever, unlike the Cash. Mm. Which I think would probably end up being problematic for me.
2: Yeah, the cash definitely Just seems a, like a safer bet. approachability standpoint. Yeah,
1: yeah, totally.
2: Especially well, given the customization options, because you can make like I think I think it was the second Blister Summit. They brought some both light and really heavy cash one hundred sixes. You mm. can cover a very broad range between their builds.
1: Excellent. Well, now. Um, what I've learned from this is that I should buy a pair of cash 106s, but Jonathan gets to pick them for me. <laughs> and that if I try on a Technica Mach 1 LV and my foot fits in it with my zip fits, I owe you 10, uh, Jonathan 000. owes me $10,000 and or a bottle of whiskey if my choice yeah. Okay. Well,
0: I mean, <laughs> if, if, if on the <laughs> absolutely 0% chance that your, your foot gets into an LV Technica Mach 1 with a zip fit. If I'm wrong, okay, I'll definitely give you a whiskey bottle over the ten um, okay. thousand uh, dollars. I appreciate so I appreciate that flexibility. That was very that was very I mean. compassionate of you. <laughs> um, hey, anything is possible
1: with enough with enough swearing and <laughs> you know uh, silicone spray <laughs> and
0: Dremels. <laughs> hey, we, we might find out. <laughs> hey, um, yeah. Here's here's our status. I actually am late to having dinner with New Image Brewing Company's founder, Brandon Caps, So, I need to run down to town to go have dinner with him. I'm excited to see Brandon. But before we let you go, Cam, you know, we like to share these crashes and close calls stories at the end of ah. our Gear 30 episodes. And I don't, know what, I, I, I don't know what you have for us, but I assume you might have a good crash and or close call story for sure us. thing
1: yeah i think it's really neat that you do this segment because what better way to talk about um the spot membership that you get with blister plus than talking about crashing because everybody likes a good crash story right <laughs> and as somebody who spends most of his winter putting um putting people in ambulances and them having to worry about how they're going to pay the $20,000 bill for the ride that they just got. Um, I would say definitely get blister plus with spot. If you're listening to this and you're a person that runs any risk of hurting yourself, something you should probably do. Um, I'll pick a, a funny entertaining one. That's embarrassing for me, but I've heard the story told so many times I'm desensitized to it. Um, This is right after I joined the patrol. I just got my red jacket. I was out for a rip with my buddy Joe. Um, and we just dropped off um, underneath uh, Chair 6 Northwood at Mount Spokane. And uh, we were moving pretty quick. Maybe a little quicker than was responsible for conditions given what jackets we were wearing that day. And... I realized that my goggles were still up from the from the chairlift ride. So mid turn at what I like conservatively guess was maybe thirty, um, I reached up, I pulled my goggles down, and while that happened, I noticed that my my left foot started to go uphill across the fall line, and my right foot started to go downhill into the fall line, and. You know, when you've crashed skis or bikes or whatever fast, like at high speed enough, you know, when the time dilation hits, that shit's about to get real. And when I felt my legs like spread like that, the time dilation hit and everything slowed down. And I was like, I'm going to freaking die right now. Like this does not end well. There's no way it ends well. And I keep going in that configuration for what felt like three freaking years. And finally, the uphill ski pops off Um, right as I'm feeling like, well, one of my hips is eventually going to dislocate itself. Like it's got to happen eventually. Right. (laughs) And um, the the downhill ski hooks into the hill and turns me, you know, kind of across fall line. And it pops off and I end up tomahawking backwards down the hill underneath the chair line. And I feel every hit and it's foot, head, foot, head, foot, head backwards down the hill. And this is all transpiring. I cannot like, I can't emphasize this enough. Literally right underneath the chairlift. So they see the ski patroller, (laughs) Tomahawking (laughs) it, you know, 25, 30 miles an hour backwards down the hill, probably making all sorts of weird noises. And eventually (laughs) I, I come to a stop. I've had the wind knocked out of me for probably, you know, a good 10 seconds at this point. I slide like 20 or 30 feet and my buddy that I was skiing with, um, comes up and he like practically starts shaking me and he's like, are you alive? Are you Okay. He's like hysterical and I'm, I'm just trying to get air in my chest, right? Like I've had the wind knocked out of me and all I can get out is. And meanwhile, I hear on my radio and on his radio that, that people are getting off the chairlift, reporting my crash (laughs) and that a ski patroller needs to go down and check on this and. And luckily at the, at the end of this whole ordeal, I wasn't that worse for the wear and I got to walk away from it that day. But when it was happening, I was going through the laundry list of potential injuries. I was about to have thinking like, this is going to be really bad. So that, that would be the one embarrassing one that I still to this day can't live down. And I've had people come up to me that, you know, oh, Joe told me about the crash that you you did right in front of him. And it's like, dude, that was three years ago. And unfortunately he wasn't here with us to tell the story today, but, um, cause he would have done a much better job. So there it is. That was a close call for sure, but I walked away from it. I hope everybody else walks away from their
0: close calls this. Season. Yeah, Cam, my last. My last big tomahawk event uh resulted in a broken neck oh my a very God. badly, very badly broken neck. yeah so um just for listeners, like sometimes you do get really lucky and you get to walk away and i'm after that day, um I'm very lucky to
1: not be, be walking
0: a quad, to be not be a quadriplegic yeah which vertebra and, did you uh, break? uh I did c six c seven and tore three of the four ligaments in my neck. Wow. And and by the way, didn't go – I mean, the key part of the story, and this is one of the things we really emphasize with the whole Blister Plus coverage, I didn't go to a hospital for five days. Whoa. I didn't go to a hospital for five days. So, I was lucky enough to like not die in this – I went off a cliff, tomahawked, yada yada. Wow. I didn't die then, but – I could have paralyzed myself in the next five days not going. And this is one of the things we keep talking about is like with the coverage, when you're like, I just had a very traumatic event, just go get checked out. You're covered. Go get checked out. And um, that's one of the reasons why we're so persistent about this and just want to see as many... Skiers and snowboarders and mountain bikers and boaters, et cetera, et cetera, covered on this thing. And, totally. and um and you dude, you see it all the time as a patroller. You yeah. know, and you see injured people and you're like, You just cost yourself thousands of dollars.
1: Oh yeah. You know, I in in the rare occasions that I have to call a helicopter for somebody, it's you think about it. That, like, okay, I'm saving this person's life, but I could be saddling them with a forty thousand dollar bill. Fortunately, our our um, aeromedicine medicine uh, provider here in the inland northwest is a is a not for profit organization called Lifelite, and they'll help you out. But you know, even if I have to call you an ambulance, that isn't going to be
0: cheap. <laughs> it's a right. forty five minute ride each way to town, <clears throat> so. And 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 one of the things I want to say too that we work to get in our blister plus coverage is that transportation, you get twenty-five thousand dollars worth of coverage per incident. And that includes twenty-five thousand that can go toward ambulance rides, that can go toward heli evacs, backcountry yeah. evacs. And a lot of people's insurance won't necessarily cover that stuff.
1: You're and absolutely so, correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, man, we just, we just, it's bad enough when you blow yourself up and your, your season is over or you're out for many weeks, but then to just have all the financial burdens sure. on top of it. That's why we're really passionate about this. And so anyway, folks, you don't want to end up
1: having to sell your bike because you wrecked your bike, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jonathan.
0: Um, no. Anyway, hey. Cam, this was really fun, and uh that was great. I I I did not see the I did not I thought I had talked you in. I thought I gave a really good speech about monogamy and loyalty, <laughs> but you're still going a different way. That's Sorry, fine. Man. I, I'm non traditional. Now we're just going to make sure you end up happy, and so we'll to be continued on that front. But I yeah. yeah, I think I think it'll be cool. Um, I think I think we'll be able to get you on a cash one Oh six dialed to your specifications. So we'll, I'm we'll be in touch to about it. that, but, but dude, this was really fun. Thanks for coming on with, I us. I really and, enjoyed
1: uh, it. Thank you so much, Jonathan Luke. Thanks for your time, Jonathan. I hope you, have, I hope you uh, enjoy your dinner tonight. <laughs>
0: they're they're I think they're going to be like halfway done with it, but I'm at least <laughs> going to go say hi and, uh, and uh, try to try to get some food down there. Set right uh, the brettery. So um anyway, Cam, thanks Excellent. so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Cheers, thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks so much to Cam and to Lou Kappa for a really fun and informative conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And again, if you would like to get some of our personalized gear recommendations, like the ones we gave Cam here, Well, just become a Blister member and then send us an email and our team will get back to you and start getting you lined up with the right equipment. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. And we will talk to you again on Monday over on our Blister podcast.
2: Talk to you then.